Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Patriots Report. My name is Christopher Price of the Boston Globe. We have a special edition of the Patriots Report for you right now. I was able to connect with Nick Underhill from New Orleans.Football. Nick has covered the Saints for many years. I was able to get to know him a little bit when he was up here in New England covering the Patriots. I wanted to talk to him about the Saints' mindset, what Sean Payton is thinking coming into this game, and how New Orleans is approaching this contest Sunday against New England at Gillette Stadium. So let's bring Nick in right now. The Saints have had a wild start to their season. They moved their base of operations because of the hurricane. They've had a big win, a blowout loss, having to deal with a COVID outbreak. What's the mindset of this team? And what sort of message is Sean Payton delivering to them heading into this Sunday's game against the Patriots? Well, the big message this week is just really about protecting the football. And he had a pretty incredible stat about how the Patriots are like 108 and something since uh, Belichick took over in you know, last week, that was a big issue with, with Jameis Winston. He had two turnovers and probably two other turnover-worthy plays. And look, he spent a year here trying to rewire the way he thinks about the game, making the right decisions, not being so results-oriented. And as soon as adversity struck last week, he kind of reverted back into some of those old poor habits. So it's up to the Saints this week to kind of knock that out of him. And really, I think that that's kind of where it starts with this team because they don't really have the firepower right now to... to work out of a big hole. Michael Thomas is, is on uh, the PUP list and they're a little shorthanded at uh, wide receiver. So they need to stay ahead of that, make sure that, you know, that that turnover situation is at least even. And if they get behind again, I mean, it's going to be, it's probably going to be hard for them to, to fight their way out of it. So they just want to make sure they don't shoot themselves in the foot um, coming into this third game of the season. Tell me a little bit about Jameis and his overall development you know you mentioned last year you know they basically had to rewire him uh you know he's looked like he's made a few good throws at least to start the season but again last week was you know a a situation where he reverted back to you know the the guy that we've seen all too often over the course of his career where is he right now when it comes to his development well I mean until last week it looked like everything he was doing every exposure to him was the right exposure I mean all a training camp, he only threw, I think, two or three interceptions the whole entire training camp, which is pretty hard to do to go through a camp like that. I mean, we've seen practices where Brady will throw two or three in, in one practice. Drew Brees used to do the same thing. And he was just consistently making the right decisions. And it wasn't like he was playing scared and just checking down and being afraid to go down the field. Jameis uses that big arm, but he was doing smart things with the ball. And in the preseason, he was doing smart things with the ball. And the first game of the season... That was probably the best sub 150 yard passing performance that anybody could, could ever imagine five touchdowns. And at one point you look down and he has three touchdowns and 93 yards in it. It felt much more robust than that because Mm -hmm. the way he was operating the game. And then, you know, this one, you kind of see those old habits and that's what was a little bit concerning. I mean, the first touchdown or the first interception, he had Deontay Harris behind the defense for, for a touchdown, but he gets out of the pocket and he's falling backwards and, you know, he has, the, the thought process that somehow he can throw the ball 50 yards through the air while falling backwards and getting hit, and that's just not going to work. Um, he tried to throw a left-handed pass to avoid a sack and got called for grounding, and he's lucky it wasn't a fumble or you know something else. Um, so those are the plays that they need him to stop making, and I, I don't think you want to stop Jameis from being Jameis. You don't want him to play scared. You just need him to make 
more good decisions than bad and kind of still be that gunslinger, but within the structure of this offense. And, you know, people kind of forget that before Drew Brees' arm deteriorated to the point where he was throwing the ball six, seven yards at, at, at most, he was a little bit of a gunslinger himself and he'd throw 15 to 20 interceptions a season, but it worked within the construct of the offense. And that's just where they need to get Jameis to be. They need him to, to just stick to that, you know, process-based approaches and make the right decisions. And when he does and he makes more of those, I think they'll be okay. But as soon as things get shaky, you can't revert back to Tampa Jameis. I mean, that's just not going to work. And that that's what was concerning the very first time it happened. You've seen that. But I do think in this system, Sean Payton, he'll find a way to knock that out of him. And if he doesn't, I mean, it's not going to linger. He's not going to let him get to 25, 30 interceptions. They'll make a change or they'll make Jameis change. And I think Jameis will probably respond a little bit better here than maybe he did before, just given the structure. He's seen the success. He's talked about wanting to be here throughout his whole career. He grew up in this region. He, he's admired Breeze and Peyton for a long time. So hopefully that coaching can reach him maybe a little bit differently than it did before. Well, this leads me into my next question, and, and I'm curious as to what Taysom Hill's role is on this team, because we know he's not a traditional backup quarterback. Is he just, you know, there for, for Jameis insurance right now? Is he a gadget guy? What's his situation look like? Yeah, he's, he's kind of back in that gadget role. He plays some tight end. They'll have him run the ball. Um, he, he's on a lot of special teams units. And, you know, they'll bring him in every now and then to throw a pass or, or you know, a little change up at quarterback. If Jameis were to get hurt, it would not go to Taysom, at least on game day. It'd probably be Trevor Simeon. He'd come in, be the backup. And then, like last year, you'd, you'd go to the next game and then kind of go to Taysom and build around him. But he's he's someone they actually need as part of their offense right now because they're lacking you know, so much with, with these injuries and, and some other things that are going on. And their tight ends really haven't uh, materialized his hope. Adam Troutman's last year's draft pick, there's a lot of hope that he'd kind of step up and, and, and grow into that receiving role. We haven't quite seen that yet. They got Juwan Johnson at tight end. He's, he's a undrafted uh, wide receiver converted to tight end. He's made some plays, but he's still a little bit further off too. So Taysom's like actually a guy that'll go out and block and he blocks well enough that they'll run the football behind him. And he's still trying to gain a little bit of weight back. He dropped about 10, 15 pounds to, to make that best effort at the, in the uh, quarterback competition. So he's still a little bit light, you know, he's getting there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's back in that role and he's still doing all the stuff that he used to do. This whole thing I'm talking about the New England, I'm sorry, the New Orleans offense, it, it pretty much runs through Kamara, right? I mean, he leads the team in carries, catches, you, you know, they don't, they don't have success unless he's playing well. I read you this quote the other day from Hightower, you try to build the perfect back and he essentially has everything you need. You know, you, you hand the ball off to him for a three or four yard run, he turns it into a 75 yard touchdown. How much of this, if you're New England, is about slowing and stopping him, you win the ball game. Yeah, I mean, I think if they can cut his head off, it becomes a lot harder for this team. And really, that's what I expect Belichick to try to do. I mean, if you stop him, you got to try to make them throw the ball outside. I don't know that the Saints wide receivers at this point have proven that they can get open against man coverage. And that's, you know, what the, the Patriots like to do with, you know, they got Mike Thomas on PUP, Traquan Smith, the number two wide receivers on IR. So it's a bunch of undrafted guys and Chris Hogan and that's that's tough. I mean, we haven't really seen a lot. I mean, this team's at the bottom of the league in offense, which is the opposite of what you think of a Sean Payton team. So I think Belichick's going to try to make them prove it. But yeah, everything runs through Alvin and everything should 
run through Alvin. And even when Mike Thomas comes back, I think Alvin's at the point now where your offense starts with him and, and builds out from there. And look, I mean, I've covered a lot of good players. I mean, there were guys in New England. Alvin's up there in the top two or three that I think are like the most unique, breathtaking guys that I've ever seen because there are those plays where just there's nothing there and, and something incredible can happen every time he touches the ball. And I can't tell you how many times I, I've watched a play and it's like someone wraps him up and, you know, we put our heads down and start taking notes on the play. And then all of a sudden, like, you'll just hear the crowd, like, come back to life. And he's, you know, oh, my God, he spun out of this. He kept his balance. Like, they couldn't tackle him. And, you know, it's, he he is one of the most incredible players uh, to watch. And I would agree with Hightower. I mean, there's not much he can't do. His balance is, is second to none. I mean, he, he's up there with, with you know, just about the, the perfect running back. I mean, he, he's definitely in that mold. I, I always caution myself into trying to read too much into a team performance, especially two games into a season by always thinking, look, it's never as good as you think it is. And it's never as bad as you think it is. It's going to come out in the wash somewhere in the middle. Given New Orleans performance over the first two games, is it that good, that bad, or we're just, you know, just going to have to kind of wait and see on, you know, when Thomas comes back and they have all their options. Yeah, you're right. And those two performances couldn't, couldn't have been, more different, you know, beating Green Bay the way they beat Green Bay and then just falling apart against Carolina. You know, the one thing I would say is that they were without seven coaches mm-hmm. against Carolina. There's a little uh, COVID-19 breakout here mm-hmm. and not all the coaches are quite back yet. So we'll see how that goes into this week. And look, their, their starting center is out. The backup center was out. The offensive line coach was out. So you have a guy making his first start at center ever and they couldn't get their protections together. And this is, you know, Jameis playing quarterback has changed the way they do everything. Breeze used to handle everything at the line of scrimmage. Now the, the primary responsibilities on the center to start getting that stuff set. So you got a guy that that's not able to kind of communicate what needs to be communicated. And there was one point in the game where Carolina ran the same blitz three times in a row and they got beat on the same blitz three times in a row because mm. they just couldn't make the adjustment. So I think getting the coaches back in the building, settling that down, I think That'll help this week in this game. I mean, if they don't fix that, that's just straight up malpractice. But I, I guarantee the first snap of the game, you're going to see Belichick walk two guys up in the A gap, just like Carolina did, and see if they can handle it. And, you know, if they can, they can. If they can't, they're going to get attacked on that the whole game. So, I, you know, coaching matters. You can't just act like it, it, it doesn't. So I think that was a huge impact on this game. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think they played better in week one than they'll probably play the whole entire season. And, you know, I don't think this game's quite who they are either. I think this is probably, in the end, if Jameis Winston doesn't throw 25 interceptions mm-hmm. and fumble the ball 15 times, I think it's probably still a 10-win team. Their defense is is really, really good. Uh, last week, they were without two cornerbacks, too. Marshawn Lattimore's out. Uh, their slack guy, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he probably would have played a big role on Christian McCaffrey. Starting weak side linebacker, they were without ten starters in in seven coaches. So I mean, that's just not the game that I would use to yeah. to judge them on. But um, you know, they're going to get tested on a lot of stuff, and I I think Belichick's going to really make them show what they have at those offensive skill positions. And if they don't have it, I think it's going to be an issue. And if they get behind, we just don't know if this team can uh, fight their way back yet. Does that game maybe? tell us a little bit more about Carolina that it does about New Orleans, because Carol, I, I have this feeling and I've seen this around the league and I've saw, seen a lot of people write about, I think we're maybe underestimating Carolina a little bit going into this season. Yeah, I think that might be true. I mean, their defense looks really fast and they got 
you know, guys that can kind of fly around a little bit. I think last year too, with their coaching, mm-hmm. two young coaches and you saw it last year at times, the inexperience and it looks a little, it's early, but I mean, it looks like they they've learned some lessons and they know what they're doing a little bit better than they did a year ago. You know, I think at some point Joe Brady's going to probably be a head coach. And mm-hmm. last year he kind of looked like a mediocre offensive coordinator, just kind of the way he called games late in the game or plays late in the game. But you know, the scheme's really good and he's kind of harnessing that and getting a better feel for everything. So yeah, I think they're definitely being underrated a little bit. And if Sam Darnold's better than, you know, people think he, think he is, I mean, that, that team could definitely be a problem uh, later in the year. Defensively, if you're New Orleans, how do you go about attacking New England? I imagine you're throwing a lot of trying or trying to throw a lot of different looks at Mac Jones. You're trying to slow James White. Uh, what is Sean Payton's defensive approach in this game? Yeah, so the one thing they really do really well is they, they disguise extremely well. And, and, you know, when you watch Dennis Allen's defense, I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of stuff happening as soon as the ball is snapped. And, you know, they'll, they'll just try to make the picture as muddy as possible. And for a young quarterback, I think it's a lot to decipher. And they even had uh, Aaron Rodgers confused at times. So, I mean, the, the way they're, they're able to hide stuff and they, they've really embraced the idea. And it's almost a cliche to say this now, but they've really embraced the idea of like positionless football and just having guys that can kind of play everywhere and, and do a lot of different things. So I think they're going to just try to keep that picture cloudy for Mac Jones. Um, they like to play a lot of man coverage. So, and, and they like the blitz a lot too. So they're going to be aggressive. And if he's a, even just a little bit confused, they're going to just pound on that and, and try to just, you know, take them apart. And that's kind of their approach every week. So I, I think they're probably going to come out and do the same thing. Young quarterback early in the season, they're going to, they're going to try to make it as hard for him as possible. Give me the name of one guy uh, on either side of the ball uh, on the roster who has a good chance of making an impact in this game, whether it's you know, scheme, personnel, whatever the case may be. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think for them to have success, it's got to be Deontay Harris, and they need those big plays. I don't think this is a team that that can really just drive down the field consistently over and over. They they kind of rely on that, that shot play a little bit, and um you know, he, he's someone that they've liked a lot. He, he's been a really good returner, an all-pro returner, and they've liked his big playability. It's just the last few years at wide receiver, Breeze really couldn't get the ball down the field to him, and they've been setting up those shot plays the first two weeks of the season. He had a 50-some yarder uh, week one against Green Bay, and I think they're going to try to, you know, just open it up. And they, they like the the way Sean Payton calls his plays. Like, he just kind of builds those, like, throughout the whole entire game, like, you know, those you'll see a lot of sets with like three tight ends and they'll just pound it and pound it and pound it. And then all of a sudden you get the safety creeping down just a little bit. And there goes Deontay Harris. I mean, those are the things that they try to set up. And he's kind of the kind of their X factor guy in that area. So I think he, he has to be the guy that steps up if they win this game. You've had a chance to cover a Belichick team, a Sean Payton team. They seem to be very much cut from the same cloth. Tell me about some similarities and maybe some differences that might not necessarily jump out to you. There are some similarities, definitely. I mean, just being from from the Parcells influence and the way they run their practices kind of look pretty similar. And just, you know, a lot of that overall philosophy is the same. But I think where they go a little bit different is that I think the Saints are a little bit more of a boisterous team. Mm-hmm. And Peyton up, like, really allows his players to kind of just be themselves and express themselves. And after every win, you'll you'll see videos from the locker room. It's it's a it's a nightclub in there. They got a smoke machine. They got light machines. The music's so loud you can't even hear the press conferences. And that's kind of you know more who they are. Um, you know, if I had to de- describe the two atmospheres, I would 
consider the Saints more like family business and the Patriots are a little bit more corporate while they still have the same, you know, core philosophies, but the way of executing those, I think, are a little bit different uh, on both sides. Tell me a little bit about the decision to create New Orleans.football, because I know that you went a very unique route. And I'm just curious how you decided to go about doing that, how things are going and how people can subscribe. Yeah, I mean, long story short, I mean, the thing for me is just you kind of see the way the business is going and everything's becoming subscription based. And I kind of look at it like music. You know, it used to be when you bought an album, you would flip the album over and see what label somebody was on. And if somebody was on a label, it was like, okay, well, I like everything Def Jam does. So I'm going to buy this Def Jam album or, oh, Rockefeller has a new artist. Nowadays, you don't know where anybody is and everybody's kind of their own marketing machine and your social media is telling people to come read you and where you work doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. we used to care a lot, but you know, people don't care. It's if this guy's a good blogger, you know, it doesn't matter if this guy's a bleacher report, if, if they're, you know, over here at this newspaper, I don't think anybody even thinks about that anymore. So for me, I just, I just kind of knew I had an audience in new Orleans being away. I could kind of just feel that pull back. I, I wanted to live here. I left, you know, you kind of realize where home is, when you live this nomadic life, you know, sometimes you got to leave to figure it out. So I felt that. And I just kind of was looking at the business and I, I, I just thought, you know, nobody's figuring this out. So I need to figure it out for myself. And I th- thought I had a chance of doing it. So, you know, I, I, I quit, started it. And, you know, so far it's working out really good. I mean, we're, we're doing better than we've ever done um, in this business. So, so far so good, but yeah, that the, the website, new Orleans football, um, me and my wife run it. It's just us. Um, and that's it. It's fantastic, man. Nick, it's been a pleasure. I, I, wa- I will say this, and I think it's important for people to hear this. I don't know of another journalist who is such a fierce advocate for his city, for his audience. You work to raise money for people in the community. You use your outlet, your, you know, every single outlet at your disposal to try and kind of uplift people, for lack of a better term. And it, that doesn't mean you pull punches when it comes to your coverage necessarily, but you're someone who, in my opinion, sees the bigger picture. It's just something I, I've always been really impressed by. I appreciate that. Thank you. No worries, man. No worries. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and how can people subscribe to New Orleans.football? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Nick underscore Underhill and New Orleans.football. Just type it in if you want to read about the Saints. I don't think we all have a lot of Saints readers here, but if someone wants to read about the Saints, you can go there, subscribe and uh, support what we're doing. Sounds good. Thanks again, my friend. Take care and we'll talk to you very soon. Yep. Thanks for having me. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0.